The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Exodus 34, verse 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sarah. Well, good morning again. If I um, haven't met you, I'm Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row, and I hope to um, get to know you and meet you at some point, grab coffee with you or lunch. Uh, I'm starting to do that again with a number of people, and it's been fun and exciting to get to know several of you that are visiting and connect you further and hear your story um, and get to know your heart a little more and uh, who you are. Uh, you know, I remember a number of years ago uh, getting tickets to one of my favorite concerts with my favorite band, U2. And it was, it was some of you may have gone to this. It was actually uh, only a few blocks from here at Vandy Stadium. And uh, it was such a big deal that when they set up the stage and all of that, that uh, U2 actually provided uh, money to, for a new turf field because they tore it up so bad. But one of the things I remember about that was, um, man, just showing up and um, seeing the state, like getting there early, of course, getting our seats. It was so hot. I mean, it was just, I think it was mid-July. It was about this time, a little maybe a month later. So hot, just dripping sweat, but couldn't care less. And um, I saw, you know, in the middle of the stage, they had this thing that was just wrapping around with like just different figures about the, the earth and us and their concerts and stuff. And I mean, just things they just kept putting up. And I was just like, oh man, it's building, building. Well, they came out and it did not disappoint at all. Uh, it was such an incredible concert. Um, you two just does their thing where they just not only just play their hits, but they just involve you. And the people that were there um, singing together, you realize you are a part of something bigger. Have you been to one of those kind of concerts where it's not just you're there to enjoy the music? Because sometimes, especially as musicians, you can ask uh, Parker and Kelly who are uh, musicians and have had bands and done that. In Nashville, it's a hard place to play because you got people that are just kind of like this listening, like what makes you different? This... Uh, was nothing like that. Singing at the top of my lungs, sweating like crazy with strangers around me. We're all singing U2 songs and all in it. And to top it off at the end, 
they finish, they come back out for the encore, and then it's, you know, one of those double encore, try and keep them out kind of things, you know. And they bring this guy up off stage. And he gives, you know, Bono gives Edge, says, give him the guitar. And he starts playing All I Want Is You, that incredible song. And this guy's playing it. Well, <clears throat> he plays the song, they're singing. Afterwards, he gives, he, and I'm sure Edge, you can probably see his face. Bono says, just keep the guitar. Like, keep it. He leaves it. We're just going nuts at this point. Come to find out, this guy that he brought up was actually blind. And he's sitting there playing. And this, the friend of theirs had signs saying, hey, my friend loves you, would love to play. They brought him up. Nobody even knew it until after. And it was been all over the news. It was just incredible. And for years, I've just maintained, even now you can hear me explaining the story. Like, it just still sits in my brain. But I'm, I'm, it's like something I'm trying to touch and keep. You know, when you listen to a, when you go to a concert and then you hear that person, their, their, um, their songs again, you, you, you somehow touch back on that event, that experience, but you just can't hold it and it just kind of leaves and that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, I just want to go back and hear that. I want to go back and be a part of that thing that was so glorious and momentous. C.S. Lewis said something beautiful about that in his essay called Weight of Glory. He said, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. It's a glory, it's an experience. And it's interesting, especially as we've been looking, we're almost finished with the life of Moses and then we're gonna actually move into another section called the law of Moses. We're gonna walk through the 10 commandments, but we're looking at the life of Moses and you read this kind of passage where he has this encounter with God, this incredible experience. And it would be easy to say, okay, is that just like him, is the glow of, of Moses' face, <clears throat> him just experiencing God and going down? In fact, the, years ago, there was even a, a, a Bible study devotional thing called Experiencing God that was based on these passages. And what it did, though, was it really pushed into just experiencing God, but it missed often the relationship with God, the real thing. Especially in a, in, 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 a, in a culture where we love to experience, love to hold on, and, and we're meant to. It's actually not a bad thing to experience, but, but we can substitute the experience and the glory of the experience for the taste of what it is. News from a far country, a tune from a song we've never really heard. The glory is pointing us to something more. This is why even in the New Testament, when Jesus is actually performing things, miracles such that the Pharisees and religious leaders are like, just show us stuff. Like, you show us these things and we'll believe. He's like, no, 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 no. You keep asking me to show you things. But even, and there's even a parable that says, this, even if you saw someone resurrected from the dead, it doesn't mean it would change you at all. You might really love the experience, but you would miss me for the experience. The experience is a part of that tune. So what is this passage? We're going to look at this. We're going to look at what, what is going on here. Why the shining face of Moses? Uh, and we're going to look at two things about it. Two very simple things. We're going to look at the face of Moses and then the veil of Moses. So the face of Moses, what, what is his face? 
Why this glowing face? And then second, the veil. Why is this veil? Because those are the two things that really are at the center and heart of this. What is this shining face thing? Moses essentially, between the last time, uh, last Sunday, if you're counting Sundays, uh, in chapter 32, met with God. There was this major issue of the golden calf. The people of God created a, an idol out of what they thought God was. They wanted somebody to lead them. Moses had been gone for 40 days. They were like, who's going to lead us? They crafted an, a, essentially something to worship. They put basically God in a box and said, this is who we want to lead us. When Moses came down from the mountain with 10 commandments, he was so upset that he actually broke the commandments. He threw the commandments down in righteous anger and they were shattered. And then he ascended up the mountain of Mount Sinai again to meet with God. And from that point, chapter 33, to where we are in this, the end of 34, you, all you have is just this dialogue of God, essentially talking with Moses and renewing his, what we would, they're called his covenant vow with his people. Renewing, in some ways, like a renewal vow ceremony, in a sense. But on, only on God's terms towards the people. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to renew my covenant, I'm going to renew my vows towards these people, and I'm going to do it and show my mercy, and also... Show what it really means to be in relationship with me. And during that conversation, Moses says, show me your glory. I want to really know you. I really want to see you. And God says, oh, you can't see me and live. No, one can, no man can see me and live. But I'll hide you in this rock. I'll put my hand over it. You can pass by and you can see my back. You can see the, the, just the eminence of my glory. And that's what this glory is. It shines on him. Now, some people have translated glory and the radiant face of Moses as uh, this strange thing like horns. In fact, Michelangelo in the 16th century crafted a sculpture uh, literally based on, if you go look it up, you can see it. He's sitting there and he has these, almost like he has uh, like, you know, cat ears on. It's kind of funny. They look like this. Uh, <laughs> And some have translated it like that. So what is this beaming face? What is this radiance? What is, what is on him actually? It's not so much it was literal hordes, but it was radiant beams coming from him. It was so radiant that it probably looked a lot like that. Sometimes it's depicted in uh, artistic design where it's like this, you know, when Jesus in the manger, sometimes in artistic design where there are these little things around him and it looks like horns crowns. But what it really showed was authentic relationship. What it really was showing is that when Moses came down off the mountain, who was he really interacting with? And here's what's interesting. He didn't even know it was on him, right? What's interesting from this passage, it says in uh, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, the new commandments that were made, in his hands, he came down from the mountain and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. The first point, it just, in, it, in some ways it's simple. Why is his face shining? It's to authenticate the fact that he's actually in interaction, in relationship with God. It wasn't just a moment. It wasn't just that he passed by. It was that he actually stayed and talked. In fact, in chapter 33, verse 11 the Lord said this, it says, it, says in, it says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. 
for, for all of us that kind of ask, is the Old Testament just this old, harsh book? Think about that, even that verse. That the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Face is showing the authentic time spent with the Lord. And not the exchange of a experience. Remember, Moses came down and didn't even know. It wasn't like he came down and said, look, guess where I've been? Horns, right? Moses didn't come out and, and brag or do any sort of humble brag about his glow. He, he, he came down not even knowing, but he spent that time it's in authenticity of his relationship. Not seeking the experience, but seeking God himself. Even to ask seeing your glory, it meant to see your essence. I want to see your character. I want to see the, the full weight of you. In fact, that's what glory means, and we'll look more at that in a few weeks. But glory means weight. It's heaviness. Kabod is the, is the word in Hebrew. Even the sound of it, kabod. It's heaviness. You wanted to see the fullness of God. And here's what's interesting is, as often as we as a people see that, wouldn't we love to have that? Don't we want that relationship with God? And, and, and it can be easy to substitute our feelings for an authenticity. To substitute the experience of emotional connection over real relational connection. We all know how that that's like. Many of us may be even sitting here today feeling that. There are, there are plenty of times as your pastor, I wake up and I'm not, I don't know what you think of me in terms of, I haven't asked you that, I'm not necessarily wanting you to shout this out, but, but when I wake up and I feel the same thing, I don't feel like everything is great with my relationship with the Lord or like perfect or feel good or sometimes it could be nothing that has to do with God and we equate all of our emotional capital with are we really close to him? Our measurement for that, for the experience. And we can weigh that experience and hope that the experience has weight, right? Isn't that what I was wanting with the, the concert? <clears throat> I was hoping to have an experience that would hold so much weight that I would never forget it. And I can feel tastes of it, right? tune of a, of a song I've never heard, but it's, I'm trying to reach back and keep the kabod, the heaviness, the weight, the glory of something that's merely an experience that's pointing to something much greater. Uh, when our home flooded, it was interesting. <laughs> the day after, the, the weather channel uh, literally, part. this is not, I'm not playing this up. This is just what happened. The weather channel parked literally right in front of my house. And they were doing an interview, and as some of you were there, we talked about it. Uh, the person got out, and they were doing the camera thing, and it's all set up, and all our homes are in the background, there's water. And we're all dressed with just, you know, boots or whatever we got on, just t-shirts, just trying to clean up. This person is dressed in like a, a rain slicker, and like, like, like there's a hurricane about to come through, you know, they're kind of like standing there, and we're all just kind of marveling at... Do you know what, were you, like, it was sunny like this. The day after it was sunny like this, and they're in this whole, like, garb, like, as if there's another, like, shower going through. And we couldn't help but notice, like, something's not matching the reality here. The experience of what this person is putting out there is not. And that is, is often what it feels like. It's often what, and if, we, if we lean wholly on our experience, it can miss the reality of what's really going on around. 
It, it, that could be the way in any relationship. If we, if we put wholly what it, it means to experience a real friendship, rather than what the reality of it is grounded in, we can miss that. We can, we can be looking for the next experience. Isn't this why I think often, and man, summers create this, right? We just can't wait to get to that. What's the next weekend? What's the next break? What's the next place where I can kind of get away and unplug and have an experience that drives me back to the rest of reality? Isn't that kind of how we do it? But experiences are to help. They're to, to, but, but not to, they're to supplement, but not take over for that reality. You know, deep theologians, uh, one particular, Jonathan Edwards, said there's a difference between affections and emotions. Affections are when we are actually near with God and delve into his character, and it produces, it upwells in us this desire, this excitement, this joy, this terror, whatever it may be. Emotions are those things that really come back, like waves on the shore. They just come up and back. And sometimes we lean on those to decide or, or to create, the te- to be the tether for us to know what authentic relationship is. You, you could talk about this in a number of ways. Even if we care about affection and work, say, let's, let's say we have a heart for social justice. If we move into social justice and caring to the deep needs of our city, which are vast in terms of the needs of racial disparity, the needs of the poor, what if we were to move out simply in emotion and experience? If we leave this place and we're like, we're going to do that. We feel excited. We're going to do it. It runs out. The tank runs empty. And, and some of you may have felt that before. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really get involved. I'm going to do that. You know, it's almost like re-upping, right? But what really grounds it into the, the reality of you living out? How does social justice actually happen in reality. It's if it's tethered to something larger than itself, larger than the feeling of, oh, see the needs, and I feel overwhelmed by it. Yes, that's not a bad thing. That should be taken into account. But where does that actually find its anchor? It finds it in the one who is deep, the character of God himself. Because what happens in this passage is when Moses is away from God enough, the glory, what? It fades right? It would fade. It would move away. And then when he would go up with God, it would, it would, it would, you know, illuminate him again. The glory and brightness, it authenticated his relationship so that the people, when they heard it, they recognized something powerful. It authenticated not just his relationship with God, but the message from God to them. I don't know if you noticed that in this passage, The only times when it said in verse 30, it says, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. And afterward, the people of God came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. The the glory that's shining from his face isn't one that emanates from himself. In the ancient Near East, the gods were specifically, they had radiant faces. If you study ancient Near Eastern culture, the gods had radiant faces. And what has happening with Moses is a reflection of it. Two things that authenticate it. One is, this is not like him having a relationship with any other God. This is him reflecting the glory of God himself. So it fades. And not not only that, Moses doesn't recognize it. He has to be taught it. (laughs) 
But secondly, the other thing that's interesting is the only time that Moses wears the veil is when he's just out amongst the people. When he's speaking to God, he doesn't have the veil. And when he's speaking to the people for God, he doesn't have the veil. In order that the people can recognize, and what do they recognize? They recognize the same face and the same glory that they saw on Mount Sinai. That the message was authenticated. It was real. And it wasn't just like a God, lower G. It was someone else speaking through him to them. As the moon reflects the sun, and, and man, lately, the moon has just been spectacular. I don't know if you're into uh, really like taking in the moon and, and, and stars and enjoying the, Lord, the heavens, but it, it has just been incredible to see. And even just last night, just seeing the reflection of the moon lighting up the land. I mean, just, it's almost like an extra light. It's just incredible. But the moon itself doesn't hold that. It has a specific kind of uh, dust and, and, and is created in a way that it, it so reflects the, the heat, the power, the light of the sun that it shines back in the night, even to create light during the night. And that's actually what Moses was doing. His message was authenticated because he was speaking, not a different message, but the message that he'd been given on Sinai. And, and that can easily work with when we come to a sermon or go to a Bible study and we look not just for an experience. Sometimes we're looking for what's a new thing that's going to prick my mind or it's going to prick my senses or my, my intellect that made me make me think of God differently. But he's trying to say, no, 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 here's the God. Here's the God of Sinai. Here's the one who created these things. Don't look for the experience of something new. Look to him. You see how easy it is it branches out. What are the ways that we look for an experience from God rather than to God? Because the glow, the eminence that he had was to, to point back to the real God. This is exactly what happens in the transfiguration. When Jesus goes up on the mountain... In all these passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he actually transfigures into this glorious. And Peter, James, and John are like, whoa. And they see Moses and Elijah. What's happening that's different, that authenticates first, is they hear a voice. They hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then they realize that the glory, the glow, isn't something being reflected. It's actually something different. Not like Moses, where it was reflected from being with him. It was emanating actually from him. He was the source of that glory. The, the thing for us to think about is, how do we really want to grow out of just caring about and trying to hearken back to an experience but living in it and letting the experiences bolster and encourage our affections, it's by listening to Jesus. By listening to the one whose glory doesn't fade, but who controls it. He actually said, I'm going to turn it up and let you see where it comes from. And then I'm going to let you walk with me and be. The transfiguration shows us that when God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Where do you get that experience? Where do you get it from? That, that, that feeling that you're wanting to have isn't by having a feeling and then going. It's by going to be with Jesus. Reading, taking up the Gospels. Where even at the beginning of the John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, 
we've found the one that Moses has been writing about. We found him. Here's the one that can bring you in. Because here's what's interesting about this passage. It's not just the glory of his face. Moses had, and we always ask this question, probably. I mean, maybe you haven't asked it in a while, but you probably wondered it. And I remember it's just an age-old question of, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What is this difference? Why is it different? Is there differences? How do we make sense of it? Sometimes it's easier to read the New Testament for us because it feels a little more palatable. The Old Testament feels maybe more rich, but it's really a hand in the glove. And what it's actually saying is that there is a difference in being in Jesus and not. The veil here is key. Why the veil? Notice, remember, the veil wasn't when he was with God. It wasn't when he was speaking. It was only when he was amidst the people. And they, didn't, they were afraid of his face, be it horns or whatever the radiant beams may have looked like. But he had to wear the veil because it frightened them. There was a separation. There was a separation. And the separation is something that was experienced and if you read, even from the beginning of the Bible, one of the most difficult things that occurs in the Bible that is experienced is separation. In the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 is when separation actually comes in. Adam and Eve have decided to live out their own life and, and instead of really following God, they trust what Satan has for them and they partake of this fruit to say, I don't know if God is withholding from me. And that, what is the immediate reaction? There's a separation. And we've felt that separation ever since. This veil is that picture of separation that they, there, was a, there was a distance, there's a fear, there's, a, there's something separating them. And we know that. Like I was looking up, um, and, and we, just because I was curious and not because it's, it's so revolutionary, what wearing masks actually was like. And, and I know how we experienced that on a number of levels. But when people took the mask off and what it was like to see from here down and actually experience expression. But remember when it was up, one of the things that really took a toll on that a lot of researchers said that it really reduced the ability of to have emotional accuracy and connection. Those two things, emotional accuracy and connection. It really was. And, and, you know, we tried to not have them on by doing Zooms and those kind of things. But remember that. It was a strange thing because you really couldn't, except unless somebody had really good expressionable eyebrows, you really couldn't follow with what they were feeling or thinking. Unless they say it, and you still, I mean, I still am like, if there's loud music or something around, that voice coming through the mask, it's hard to hear. You're miss, there's a miss of that. Imagine that separation, what, double-clicked, exploded out, right? That is what we felt with God and others for so long. That is the fear we have. That's the thing we have to, we've encountered The separation that began in the garden and feeling separation now, be it our own feelings, be it those around us, be it from those we think are our deepest friends and feeling separation, the fear of separation, the separation of those loved ones who've lost, the separation of those that 
live in other places and we feel distance from. Separation is all around us. And the veil simply reminded them that there is a separation here in the Old Testament. There's something that we feel that we want to be close to. That experience, right? That's what we want to be close to, but we, we can't. There's something separating. As much as I experienced the most incredible concert, <laughs> there was still a veil somewhat of me experiencing it to the fullest I really could. Separation clouds us. And how does God take care of this? Here's what's interesting. Paul picks up this passage. And this is where I love when the New Testament does this. If you ever want a, uh, an encouragement for how to read the Old Testament, there are passages in the Old Testament in the New that are helped. You take passages that are difficult and what you know, a rule of thumb is, let other passages help you translate these. But Paul picks this entire passage up as an illustration in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and forward. I'm going to read just a couple verses from here. So he says in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want you to hear that what Paul is drawing out for us isn't necessarily that what happened with Moses is, is moot. But what he's saying is when they lived by the law in terms of their relationship with God, the veil was still there. And that's often what we experience in all of life. When we live by the law, and we still sometimes believe that when we interact with God, is that man, he, he only really loves me. And when I feel this, I do this or have this or do... But we need to be reminded, what is this word he said? The freedom that you and I have because the veil has been lifted. The, the glory faded from Moses' face, but some commentators, and I love how they say this, that the gospel never fades. The good news that is over you, the good news that is the gospel of Jesus has removed the veil of anything. If you are a Christian, if you are in Jesus, the veil has been lifted and no longer do you need any sort of experience to enter into that. You don't need any sort of, of amount of doing or meeting up to the standards of the law. You are actually with him. And that's what it means to actually stir your affections is to know who's the one who's lifted the veil. This is why in the New Testament, there is a giant veil that separates Everyone, only the priest could go in from into the tabernacle in the New Testament. And what happens at Jesus' actual death, it says the curtain was torn. The veil that separated all of us from the Lord himself was torn in two, ripped in half. 
The veil has not only been lifted, it has been torn. It has been accessed so that we are never separated. That separation is no longer with him. And even the moments when we feel the deepest, most profound, horrible moments of separation and the emotional, catastrophic things they hit to the core of our being that we think, is there anything that can remove this? Is there any way that I know that this is real? We hearken back to what we have as the permanent glory of the gospel. That is a tune that never goes out of style. That is a song that as, as, as he said, Lewis said beautifully, the trees are rustling with the sound that the pages of the New Testament are saying that this is not how it was going to end. It is going forward. And we have this at this table here. What's glorious about this table is that this table does something to remind us that the reality of the veil has been removed. You don't have to come to this table because you're doing well or because you feel great. <clears throat> you actually don't. You could come to this table and receive the body and blood of Jesus if you are feeling so horrible and even feeling separated from him. And you know what's amazing is that God doesn't base his relationship with you in any way on how you're feeling this morning. The measurement of your relationship with him and the power of the authenticity of his message in your life is based on the body and blood of Jesus. That's it. Strikes the core of separation. It, this is why Paul can say, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Because he put into everything into this, at this table, a reminder and taste of the glory that is ours. And this, again, just to remind you, is merely a taste. It's a taste and that we come to every week and we have to be reminded because our minds fade, right? Just like the glory fades. It's not to get into the experience of tasting this. This experience of tasting, letting your palate soak in the whatever you think of how good or not good the juice and bread is out of this cup, to remind you of the meal that you will have forever with your king. There is no separation. This is your reminder. This is your tangible reminder that what he has done. And we can't come to this table in any other way to think that this is the experience that tells us that. This simply reminds us of that. Over and over. Let's stand together. As we do, we're gonna recite from the Heidelberg Catechism I've mentioned before is so dear to my heart because the questions it asks are the questions that we ask. When it asks this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Je Savior Jesus Christ. Let me hear you. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation by his Holy Spirit. He also assures me of eternal life 
and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Please be seated.